0: listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. Today I am joined by Kirsten Tannen. She is an account director at Direct Results. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Kirsten, I feel like we've known each other for a few years now, Um, but you've been in the podcast space for quite a long time, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I think we what, met three or four years ago, maybe yeah. something around there. Um, Yes, but I've been in the podcast space a little over seven years.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So I feel like if you're at that 7, 8, 10 year mark that you definitely are veteran status. Now, prior to podcasting though, you guys worked a lot in radio and maybe you still do work quite a bit in radio at direct results, right?
1: Yeah. So we started in the radio terrestrial space doing remnant advertising then, with the industry continued to grow, got into streaming audio, podcasts, but we really anything in the audio space we touch, and we're getting more into the influencer marketing too.
0: Mm -hmm. That's, that's great. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like there's been this convergence. I don't know if you have seen this, but it feels like all content used to be a little bit more segmented. And even just like in the last six months, the last year, two years, it just feels like those content creators are creating content across so many platforms and advertisers are interested in buying across so many platforms and they're not necessarily siloing things off as much. Are you guys seeing that?
1: Yeah, for sure. We're definitely seeing that. We're seeing a lot of what we're calling these 360 integration campaigns where it's, okay, we love this host of a podcast. They have a strong social media following. They also may have a simulcast on YouTube and people want to see the full package. So we might start just in the audio area because that's our specialty, but then knowing that we've seen the results and then incorporating the other pieces to it, But definitely
0: are seeing that in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I am so interested to see what happens in the next several years here, or maybe in the next several months, Yeah, (laughs) just because it does feel like things are shifting. Um, But I guess looking specifically at podcasts, obviously coming from that audio space, podcast was probably a really natural next step. What appealed to your agency about working within podcasting?
1: Yeah great question. I mean, it was the lean and listening. So we're always wanting to focus on the lean and listening. We saw it as a really great opportunity for our advertisers and our clients, but as for the agency as a whole. And then of course, with time went on, it's the trackability, right? Mm -hmm. In the digital audio space. So being able to see data and make smart decisions really has helped us manage our client growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love to hear you say that because I feel oftentimes one of the complaints that folks have is that there isn't enough of that data. There isn't enough of that information. What are you seeing that is really giving you the picture, giving you that, that you know data or those metrics that you need to really make uh, good buying decisions?
1: So it depends on every advertiser and of course what their goals are. Our preferred method is the pixel placement, and then we're able to see very specific results in there. And then we also have other advertisers that may be just doing promo codes or URLs, but seeing spikes in engagement, seeing, you know, just overall conversion growth through the pixels, it's just making us have smart and informed decisions Mm -hmm. on
0: what optimizations or changes we're making hmm mm-hmm. That's that's great. And we definitely will talk a little bit more about results as, as we continue the conversation. But before we dig in too much into that, I'm curious, I know Direct Results is, you know, you're a direct response agency, that's the name. Yeah. But can you tell us a little bit about the types of clients that you work with and the types of results that you're looking to get?
1: Yeah. So again, every client's different. But everything is tracked. We have years and years of data from before podcast, podcast, uh, just tracking results constantly. And through there, we have developed systems that it's a predictive modeling ability where we can see success and sustainability, knowing that a certain channel may work depending on what the product may be. So it could be something that is... uh. QSR, or it's a home improvement, whatever it is, we have the data on it internally that we know certain channels and genres are going to perform.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And would you say that you have found there are certain techniques that you use that help create better results? Is it about the way that you structure the campaign? Is it, is it about the genre? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So over the past seven plus years, we've been developing these systems and modeling, basically, of just check marks along the way. We're very thorough and strategic in our placement. So it could be from vetting talent to finding shows. We're looking at renewal rates, but there are a ton of tools at our disposal um, that we rely on. But really, it's also seeing the talent, having that one-on-one conversation And knowing that they truly believe in a product, that's going to help us get the results. And that's what's going to drive the response.
0: Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the challenges with podcasts are that there are just so many out there. Do you feel like you guys, and I know we work (laughs) with Nick on your team and um, I just loved it. Cause he was like, you know what? Don't send me a hundred shows. Can you just, just send me like your five best? Like, like that would be great. I just want to like, know the cream of the crop but with, and yeah. when you're working with a network or a rep firm, it is easier for them to say, okay, based on this client's needs, these are the podcasts we're going to recommend, but there's obviously thousands of podcasts out there. How do you, I guess, comb through the shows to find those podcasts that are going to be performers.
1: That's a great question. Nick is the best. Absolutely. (laughs) Hands down. Um, I mean, we like to say we choose people over programming. So what I mean by that is that we have really great vendors like yourself and partners that we've worked with over the years and there's new ones coming into the space, but you know, your inventory, you know, the shows, and we trust you because we've worked time and time again and we've seen the results And if you come to me with an idea or Nick with an idea and say, I promise you, this is going to be amazing for X advertiser. We're going to do it because we know that it's a partnership. You guys have our back. If we're not seeing the results we need, we know that you're going to help us. But really in that partnership, if you believe in the product and the show, we're there to support it. Everyone's going to win.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you feel like you lean into that partnership with the host in particular? Is it about product samples? Is it about, I guess, really getting to know them or the length of commitment? What does that relationship look like?
1: Yeah. So it usually starts with simple question. Have you used X product? Right. Mm. And you'd be surprised by sometimes we get the no. We're like, okay, well, maybe this might not work out, but um, (laughs) you'd be surprised. But from there, it's just having that open conversations like, oh, well, if you used XYZ and you like to tell me about it Mm -hmm. and getting that, you know, really genuine and authentic response and that coming through is huge. And you can really tell in that moment if it's going to work Um, And then we send product, whatever it is, every influencer or excuse me, every host is going to use whatever product it may be before they go live on air and they know their listeners better than we ever will. So I'm going to tell you, take this creative. Yes, this is what they want to say. Hit the key points, but you run with it. You say it in your own words.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That definitely is a key. I know that that's where we have seen a lot of success is in that host read and the host really believing in a product. I'm curious, how do you deal with a situation where maybe the host isn't performing up to expectation, or maybe you get an ad read and you're like, Oh, this one isn't so good. (laughs) Um, Are you going back to that podcaster and asking them to redo the ad read? How do you approach it when maybe things aren't quite up to par? a great question um
1: yeah we're gonna go back to our partner and that's that's where that relationship really comes in so if the host is missing the mark you know you did this part fantastic and this part sounded great but maybe we tighten this up a little bit and if there's an issue you know we're gonna get back on the phone and we're gonna have a conversation every single one of our endorsements at direct results we have a conversation before we even go on error record yeah. Down.
0: yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that that's such an important connection and, and really just building that relationship. One of the things that you said, I thought was, was interesting because you you said it and then you pulled back. Do you classify podcast hosts as influencers? That's
1: yeah. So to an extent, I mean, we say radio hosts were the original influencers. So totally. Yeah. I sometimes, you know, we'll use it interchangeably. Sometimes, you know, a podcast host was an influencer first, but they have
0: that following. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah that's great I put a post out on LinkedIn not too long ago like saying like do you think that podcast hosts are influencers and listening to people's responses was so interesting and I do think that I've always really loved to talk so much about how podcast hosts are influencers because the way that I look at it we're all influencers right like we all have yeah. influence over people in our lives but you know, from the traditional advertising perspective, you do need a certain mass of people following you. And I also do think that it it really does depend a bit on the type of content that you're creating. I think you can have a podcast where potentially the host isn't an influencer. So it just kind of depends on the content, but I really try to encourage hosts to position themselves in a relationship with their audience where they can be classified as that influencer because ultimately from at least an advertising standpoint, your audience is gonna listen to the products that you recommend. And yep. especially when those products are very in line with the type of content you know that, that you're creating, I, I think that makes a big difference. It seems like that's what you've seen as well.
1: 100%, I couldn't agree more. It's really the synergies between the product and the host And them genuinely and authentically believing in it, that their listeners are going to engage. And it's so powerful, the loyalty of listeners with hosts, because they want to support them. They want to have that connection. And they're lean in listening. That's from the very start is why we came into podcasting. And it's, they're going to make the move. So Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, great. Yeah. So you have used that um phrase lean in listening a couple of times. I think you know when I am presenting to an advertiser one of the things I always like to say is that podcasts are so different than other forms of content because you have to have the app on your phone. You have to know which podcast you want to listen to. You have to navigate to that episode, right? It's, it's not an accident that you're listening to this podcast. It's very intentional. Is mm-hmm. that kind of why you classify it as lean and listening?
1: That's exactly why. Yeah. So it's intentional. The decisions are intentional. They're looking for that specific show. So you have their attention already, that's step one. And they want to hear what that host is saying. They want to hear what's in that episode. So when you have your ad running in that, and if it's a baked in ad, even better, it's seamless, it's in the content. So that's really why we say lean and listening.
0: Yeah, I love that. One of the things, I know we started this conversation by talking about these 360 opportunities and how we can take a content creator and we can put an advertising message in front of an audience in multiple channels. One of the things I struggle with in looking at that though, is that I really do love the characteristics of podcasts and how they are set apart from other you know, forms of media. And I do really believe the power of podcast advertising is just what we've been talking about. It's the time spent with the content that is so incredibly valuable. And for me, it's the time spent with the content is Mm -hmm. the first point. And then the second point is that when you're listening to audio, you create a visual picture in your head of that of that word, of that sound, of of you know what it is that you're taking in. And that I believe is so much more powerful than something that you're served up visually. Mm-hmm. And while I see that there are so many opportunities with other forms of content, I really believe it's important for us, um, especially being in audio, both of us being in audio, just to lean into the power of audio. And I do get a little concerned that by, grouping all of it together. And there's been so much talk in the podcast space recently about YouTube and hey, -hmm. the power is there. I get it. But I just get concerned a little bit that audio can get lost in the mix because it doesn't, audio isn't always the top dog, especially when we're talking about video and social and and other things. Um, What are your thoughts about that?
1: I mean, that's a really Fantastic point. I We're all here because we love audio and I and speak for direct results. It's the audio is what makes the difference. It's that connection. It's the listening aspect. It's intentional, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I think the YouTube, there's that blurred lines right now between the simulcast and is the audio getting lost in this space because we're incorporating those visual aspects or it's social. But I think in the end, If we're leaning in with the audio, it's finding where those consumers are Mm -hmm. at all these different points and times and places and still connecting with them. And that's where we want to be. So it's just a reinforced vertical if you incorporate those video pieces and the social, but audio first, first and foremost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I also Mm -hmm. will say that one of the big challenges with audio is that clickability factor and Uh. I mean, it just isn't there, right? You are listening to something. And I know Spotify does have like on screen where you can click through. And I know mm-hmm. I've talked to companies in the past that are trying to develop more on screen that, you know, mirrors the audio that would come up with an ad that you could click through while you're listening. So if you really liked it, you could say, oh, hey, listener, like grab your phone, click on the link right now and like go to purchase. and Mm -hmm. I I still really hope that that opportunity comes because I I think that if that were available across all different types of listening platforms, that that could be the connector piece. And in my opinion, that in and of itself could really just catapult audio because there is that clickability that can be a challenge. Do you guys see that at all? Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, it's constant proving audio, proving Mm -hmm. it out that it works because you don't have that clickability. I think pixels are you know, the step in the right direction, but there's still that area where we need more. Mm -hmm. What's the attribution modeling? So just keeping tabs on what's going on in the industry, like you said, like the Spotify piece that's there, just watching it because we still need that. I think that one little bit is missing. And once Mm -hmm. we have it, it's going to be a slam dunk.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree. So I'm curious, getting back to trackability because you are looking for direct response, because we're looking for how can we monitor the results of this campaign, how do you approach that? So I know we've already talked about the pixel and promo Mm -hmm. codes, but if a brand new client were coming to you and they were saying, okay, we wanna create a great campaign, but we also wanna make sure that we can track the results, what would that Mm -hmm. look like for you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what does success look like to them? So Mm -hmm. identifying that with them, number one, first and foremost. So is it getting website traffic or is it people downloading a brochure? What is it exactly? Working with them, making sure those pixels are placed in the right place. But if that's something that's not opportunity for us to be able to track, maybe they don't allow pixels. Well, what can we do? So that's where the call to action and the offer really come into play because we need to have that ability to measure. So working with them hand in hand as a partner, saying, okay, you know, we've driven a hundred people to your website and we saw on your back end you were able to share like through your read only Google Analytics that 50 of them went to brochure and we were the only audio or medium that was running. So that's the way we do it, but just really step one, identifying Mm -hmm. what success looks like to them.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what kind of conversion rates would you say you guys see from podcasting? Is there a standard across the board?
1: That's a great question. So I wouldn't say there's a standard across the board. Mm -hmm. I would say that depending on the advertiser and what the offer is, is how fast we're going to see engagement. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's a high price point or not. We have some that are seasonal, so we see it immediately. But I would say in general, as a rule of thumb, we see connectivity fairly quickly. Like you should see some kind of attraction. If you're not, optimizations or changes need to be made. And I'm not saying like drop the show, not at all, but maybe that's where we go back to the town and say, you know, we listen to the ad again, maybe we tweak this a little bit. Or what do you think's missing? I, getting their buy-in and opinions really important. But just seeing that initial connectivity is really at the early stages, I think is really, really key.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that is so tricky about podcasts is that I know we talk about this. I feel like we throw around this word often, but is just that scalability piece, because the way that i look at podcasts and granted yes i think the the closest comparison would certainly be influencer marketing where you're going and you're buying specific influencers but when you are going through and you're buying a specific podcast it can be challenging in that it's not as though you're like okay i'm running like instagram ads or facebook ads and i know how they're performing right and it's it's like you say oh okay well we tested you know, this image and this call to action and this copy and that converted well, so let's go ahead and double, triple down on that. You know, let's just buy three times the impressions or whatever. It's okay. This podcast worked really well for us. And mm-hmm. now we've got to go find another podcast that works really well and another podcast. So there, there can be definitely some obstacles in terms of actually building out campaigns from Mm -hmm. that perspective. And I do think that the point you make about optimization is so important because I don't see podcast ad buying as a set it and forget it kind Mm -hmm. of advertising as you are, you know, I mean, you you have to constantly be monitoring your results, but as you're seeing that maybe something is performing or isn't performing, you have to constantly be tweaking. How do you approach that and the optimization process that maybe needs to happen?
1: Okay. So we as an agency and media specialists in general, especially like Nick, as you mentioned, we're very thorough and strategic in step one of even finding the show. So once we do know that Little Grain is going to be killer and it's working, finding that lookalike, we already have a stack that we've been identifying and watching to see if that's something we can rotate in. If that show, maybe the second one we brought in, because it was a lookalike to the first one, similar audience, similar genre, similar everything, it's not where it needs to be. Then we come in and we do those tweaks. So maybe it's the messaging. Maybe this audience is just a little more female than male versus the other one. So- taking those little like pieces and making sure everything Mm -hmm. is customized to fit within that show needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So I hope I'm answering your question, but it's, it's really, it's so specific to each program. It's nothing's going to be cookie cutter. And I think that's what we really do well at direct results is that every single piece we're thorough and we're strategic and yeah, it may take more time, but we do the hard stuff that other people won't do.
0: Right. You know, right. No, I love that. And that definitely did answer my question because the way that I believe you need to approach a campaign is you have these different levels of learning. And Mm -hmm. and one of the things I always just crack up about is that you're never going to try a brand new vehicle of advertising and be like, oh, wow, that worked amazing. Let's just do more of that. Like It just doesn't work that way, right? And Mm -hmm. um, as much as we want to create a strategy for success, we're all looking to create the best results possible. There is learning that needs to happen. And, you know, obviously, as you said, if an advertiser is able to come in and work with an agency like yourself you have all of the experience you can say based on the type of client you're trying to get this would be the best you know strategy that we would put forward but really it is just as simple as saying okay first let's look at the genres and what kind of genres should we be targeting what kind of income brackets what kind of gender breakdown what kind of educational breakdown right like all of those pieces kind of have to be assessed first, then it's like you, you tweak with those. And then then yep. you come out with saying, Oh, wait, okay, this genre, this age group, this gender, all of these things work really well. And then now let's go find more to duplicate. So it really is, it's an ongoing process. And it, I think it definitely has layers. When you're starting at the very beginning, you uh-huh. do have more information to kind of take in and analyze to see where success is at. Is that kind of what you guys see? Yeah, for sure. So over the years, I mentioned
1: earlier, we have
0: basically developed this predictive
1: modeling. And Mm -hmm. we know based off of a certain category of an advertiser, what's going to be successful. And that's where we know success is. And then the scalability will be there because we've worked with similar ones Mm -hmm. or just all of the background data.
0: But yeah, working, everything you just said is spot on. That's how we operate. Yeah. It's just, I, I think it's just, in my opinion, you have to be really strategic with it or else you're, you're not going to see the the results. And and I do also think that you have to be in for the long run to some extent, right? You can't. And I always just so discouraged when we have direct advertisers that come to us that are like, can I just try like one podcast? (laughs) And I'm like, no, No. you can't like, it's not, you might as well just write me a check just directly to Heather Osgood if you'd like to. That would be fine because you're probably not going to see any results. So
1: yeah. No, it's uh, we we always ask, you know, for a set number of shows that we're going to be able to test. So we'd like to do it in a couple different areas. And from there, at least six weeks is what mm-hmm. we'd like to see. Listen, not everything's going to work the first time, but we're going to get learnings and then we're going to be able to optimize. Right. So it's just minimalizing what doesn't work. And knowing from, you know, your past experiences in the history as an agency, what we've seen be successful and what we haven't and making those
0: changes, just working smarter. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. So mm. you diving in a little bit more to that testing model. So you are looking at about a six week initial test. Is there a quantity mm-hmm. of shows or is there a certain number of impressions or downloads that you're looking to read in an initial buy?
1: Yeah. And um, Depends, again, on budget. So that's sure. another aspect of us. But I would say minimal, somewhere between like five to 10 shows, mm-hmm. really. Impression-wise, again, it depends. We love a baked-in spot versus DAI. So depending on how much is available. But six weeks, and then I would say budget comes into play.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so curious because I feel like, you know, we talk so much about dynamic ad insertion. So much. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know the topic gets boring, but I'm curious, I, I find it so fascinating because when we talk to agencies and and media buying companies, so often they say, oh, we won't buy, we only buy baked in. Then I look around the industry and I'm like, who exactly is doing all of this baked in? Because, you know, from IAB reports and things, it looks like there isn't that much baked in left. I'm curious. From a buying perspective, mm-hmm. how much baked in are you finding out there? It's getting
1: harder. I would say that's one of the big challenges uh, for us in the podcast space as an agency as a whole. Mm-hmm. Baked in has always performed well for us. Mm-hmm. DAI, we've seen slower response. They're still out there. The baked in ads are still there. We know where to find them. But our new goal and something we're really learning is like, how are we going to make this DIA transition? It's not going anywhere but how are we going to make it work and how are we going to make it successful? We're finding ways about that, but the baked in spots, they're still out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what we are finding as we're integrating more YouTube, you cannot Mm -hmm. do DAI with YouTube. So yeah, it's, (laughs) well, that's, we are seeing, so the YouTube piece, like we were talking about the video aspect
1: earlier, audio first, but when we're seeing that simulcast, we now know that we're going to be baked in. Mm -hmm. and it's that reinforcement on another vertical where we do have that clickable piece where we can get a logo included maybe we could do a custom segment there's all it opens a whole new door for us
0: yeah yeah absolutely and there is so much power in that and the way i also look at it is that you have to have multiple impressions you know especially if it's a brand somebody isn't familiar with people need to hear about your product multiple times before they're going to make a buying decision. I do think there's a lot of power in cross-channel promotion because if I hear your ad on a podcast and then I see your ad on a YouTube and then I come across it on social media, suddenly I'm like, man, this brand is everywhere. Maybe I should check it out. And so mm-hmm. I really do think that there's so much power in that synergy. Um, and really every channel should be addressed differently in terms of our strategy with that channel.
1: For sure. I couldn't agree with you more. It's like I say, you want to be everywhere the consumer is and we're going to be there. So Mm -hmm. if it's the YouTube piece or it's the social or who knows, but we're going to find a way and you're right. Finding that customized message and chewing it special for each one of those channels is really important too. Yeah. But it makes them, yeah. Reinforcing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like there are any, I know we've already talked about DAI a little bit, but do you feel like there are any specific challenges that you face in the podcast space? Yeah. So aside from
1: DAI, I mean, another piece would be, I don't want to say DAI again, but it could be like an overselling of the inventory in a way mm-hmm. with DAI. <laughs> just or so, Also maybe just too many ad spots in an too episode. Too many ad spots in an episode. Yeah. yeah. That's been a big challenge. So <laughs> we've... Been really conscious of that, putting plans together, looking at shows specifically, look, using our tools that we have available to see how many ads are in there and working with our reps. But that's something that I would say is a growing and ongoing challenge right now.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, do you feel like you have a certain like ad to content ratio that you're looking for?
1: Um, You know... There's some episodes where all of a sudden we have like 10 spot breaks or something along those lines where it's DAI, but really we try to keep it small. I would say maybe we're always looking for mid-roll three to four, I would say, (laughs) in tops. I would say that's a good good starting point.
0: There was a report that came out not too long ago from another agency that said that they saw best results when there were no more than two ads back to back, and so Mm -hmm. we've really been focused heavily with the shows we represent on let's not stack your ads back to back like make sure that you're spread out even if you have three mid-roll let's do two and then take a break and then do another or do one and take a break you know with content and Mm -hmm. then have more ad space right so i i really believe that as a listener the first ad you're like oh it's an ad okay i'll listen the second ad you're like oh another ad okay the third ad you're like where's the fast forward button yeah let's
1: just get me out of here Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. It's I would say bus is always going to be better because yeah. you're going to have that consumer's attention. And we haven't heard an ad once you get it in. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, max I would say is the three to four for us, but not in just one step break. Like maybe overall right. in the show. Yeah. Um,
0: but yes, I'm with you, and you was everyone wants first and break, right? First and pop. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But then you, gosh, well, I guess you come from terrestrial radio. I was going to say radio is always so full of ads. I think Mm. my goodness, like I'm not sure where radio got to a place (laughs) where there were so many ads, but um, one of the selling features of podcasts used to be that there weren't tons and tons of ads. And I would say that we're definitely crossing that threshold. And I think as an industry, we really need to be conscientious of not getting too many ads in into a podcast.
1: Yeah. I agree with you.
0: I totally agree with you. Yeah. Let's see here. So do you feel like there are certain types of companies that you have seen succeed more with podcast ads? Is it that direct to consumer? Is it a nationally available brand? Like what works with podcast ads? See, I think high
1: consideration products in general, right? So I think that's really important. But Yes. Direct to consumer and yes, national. I think it's just matching the right talent Mm -hmm. with the right product is going to be a win. You're going to drive engagement either way and the response will follow. Um, So I feel like I'm not necessarily answering your question hundred percent because I think any brand can do well. It's just doing that right talent matchup to the product Mm -hmm. is going to be the number one thing.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, are you guys doing any programmatic ad buying? We are not doing programmatic. You're not. Okay. No. I'm mm-hmm. so curious to see where programmatic goes. I feel like there is a lot that's headed in that direction. I know that at true native we've been doing many more run of network buys than we had mm-hmm. before, which to me is exciting for the smaller podcast, because we can aggregate those impressions together and do more run of network. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, are you guys finding that that maybe run of network is appealing?
1: Yeah. So run of network is a growing appeal for us, for sure. We, as an agency, the size of a show doesn't necessarily matter to us. It comes into like where the response is going to be coming from and if the Mm -hmm. audience matches up. But run of network podcast has been a really great way for us to test in maybe genres or smaller shows that we haven't been able to before Mm -hmm. um, and see the performance. But yeah, we have been doing a lot of run of network podcasts. It's a great space.
0: Yeah. That, that's terrific. So I know you touched on the size of a show and that small doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be ineffective. Mm-hmm. When you classify small, is there, like, what is your definition of small? Is it a show that's got 5,000 downloads an episode or what does that number look like? Do you know? I would say around 5,000 downloads an episode is about yeah. right.
1: Yeah. Um okay with smaller than that it's not a problem, but usually around 5,000. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because I feel like, especially like when I go to conferences and things, I'll have these, you know, podcasters come up to me and they'll get excited and I'll say, well, how many downloads do you have? And they'll say things like, oh, well, getting a hundred downloads an episode or 500 an episode. And it's just great. I mean, and I know I've heard it said many times, if you were in a room of 100 people or 500 people and talking to them, that would feel like a lot. And yes, it would. But we also have to look at it from an advertiser's perspective. And yeah. if they're not getting a certain number of impressions, it doesn't really make sense. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the threshold you're looking for.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the threshold we're looking for. I mean, any response is good response when we're for getting sure. sales. But yeah, usually around the 5,000 mark. And if if it comes to maybe the show's a little bit smaller, we have like we have levers in place where we can still work with them. Maybe it's not just going to be on a straight CPM basis, but Mm -hmm. maybe we do something like more of a paper inquiry and we can do a PI deal, something Mm -hmm. along those lines until, you know, we're seeing success and they're seeing success. So it's a Mm win-win.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, what about on the other side? Have you guys found that there are shows that reach a point where they're too large? Maybe the investment is too great to even test into a show. Is there a threshold there on the other end?
1: Yeah, I would say not necessarily in the audience size, like the impression Mm -hmm. level, but the price point. It's Mm -hmm. it's everything has to have for us an ROI against it. So Mm -hmm. if we're seeing that a show is $50,000 and it has to have a 2.5 goal, is it really going to hit that? I don't think so. It's not going to be feasible. So finding that sweet spot in the space has always been one of our specialties of knowing where to step in and then being able to grow from there that's that's always been a challenge as well because there's huge shows that we would love to test but the price point just is so high.
0: Right. That's what I've always thought. I always think back to I talked to an advertiser who was you know new to this space and they they worked with an agency and they're like, "Well, we've spent $150,000 on a campaign and it just didn't work." And I was like, "Well, tell me more about the campaign like what did you guys buy and they're like oh well we bought three spots on a comedy show and they were like each fifty thousand dollars and i was like wow i don't know that that's how i would have set
1: that up it's like our cpms like we we look at so many pieces before we even consider booking a show Mm -hmm. from the cost per thousands to what is the renewal rate right how many direct response advertisers have they had all of these different pieces, plus the price, like that's, it's all important aspects and going into it. I can't imagine spending $150,000 on three ads. That is wild,
0: but yeah. yeah. Well, and it was a big shocker because they didn't see the results they were hoping for. And then they were like, Oh, podcasts don't work. And I'm like, or maybe you just had a bad plan. <laughs> yeah, maybe you had a bad plan. Be like, I think that was more of a brand awareness play that you just did. exactly, exactly. Uh, and it was very successful from that perspective, right? Yes. But yeah, you just have to, I mm-hmm. think you do have to be careful. And like going back to testing, it mm-hmm. is, I think, really valuable to be able to test into multiple shows because it's amazing the difference that you can see in a campaign from show to show in terms of results.
1: A hundred percent. And that's where we really rely on partners like yourself and others to what you guys send like a list? Be like, Hey, we have 200 shows. Great. What are your top five? Not Mm -hmm. necessarily in terms of downloads, but ones that you really believe in and that you love this host or they, they, you know, they're going to love this product. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. Well, Kirsten, it's been so great chatting with you, but before we wrap it up, do you have any predictions for the industry of where you see things going?
1: Okay, so I am definitely going to be jumping on the bandwagon with all of this AI conversation. Mm -hmm. But so we're already seeing AI hitting the creative space. We are seeing it coming into the media planning space. And I think that consumers and listeners are really going to grow weary of it. You know, with these AI placed creatives, eventually, I think brands are going to see that there needs to be some human touch. It's going to be the real powerful difference and a happy medium is gonna be found. But right now it's just understanding as an industry how AI is gonna affect us and Mm -hmm. where it's gonna go and the growth and setting up an understanding and standards of what we're looking at. I think that's definitely something that's gonna be in the future. And of course the DAI conversation continues um, with a TBD, but yeah, (laughs) I think AI is gonna be a huge impact over the next few years. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I I -hmm. totally agree. And it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. I will say I saw two separate reports that came out in the last couple of weeks. So that iOS update that happened at the end of last year really did have a very big impact on downloads for shows. Mm -hmm. But so I saw a report that said downloads industry-wide are down 30%. Then I saw another report that came out that said results are up by 30% and i thought that those number and i i wasn't exactly 30% i think it was like 33 on one of them but uh-huh. i thought that it was an ironic number because the reality is is that if our downloads were overinflated by 30% then of course we weren't seeing results cuz those weren't actual people listening right and exactly. so exactly yeah there's there's always change that is happening in the space and i do really believe that with DAI we're going to come up with a better way to execute and that will make all of the difference mm-hmm. um so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and ai is just so far beyond i don't even know it's <laughs> if crazy it's land or if it's, it's gonna land if it's just gonna keep going and, and going
1: yeah i mean just seeing like and hearing the ai creatives that are coming out there and creating these personas of targets and like knowing the voice that it needs to deliver to it, have somebody create action and a consumer to go out and purchase. It's mind-blowing, but human touch, I think is always going to be really, really important
0: Mm -hmm. and we're here to do it. Yeah, totally agree. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the program. If people would like to connect with you or the direct results team, where can they find you? You can find us on LinkedIn at direct results or directresults.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show, Kirsten. Yeah, I know. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you're interested in learning more about podcast advertising or anything podcast related, please head on over and check out my YouTube channel, Heather Osgood over there at YouTube. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast to advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry.